0: Jeremiah 33 verses 14 through 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Our scripture today, our gospel lesson, comes from Luke's gospel. And before I read it, I want to put it in the place it belongs. This is Jesus' last teaching before he goes to the cross. And before the verses I will read to you today, he has told his followers about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that will come. And so already I imagine they are a bit shaky. I will warn you though that I find myself in an odd position today. We are in the third week in a row when we will be talking about the second coming of Christ. So, for two weeks, Danny has talked about this. I'll have some different things to say, but um, if you feel like you're hearing a broken record, I hope it's a good one. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, When these things begin begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus said, will not pass away. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down by the, with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life that that day may catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape These things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. About a year after Eric and I were married, actually right here, um, we left the South and we moved to the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, Now you know Chicago is a great city. It's a beautiful city. And in the winter, it's a very cold city. After about a year in the city, we moved out to the suburbs and bought ourselves a little old house. We moved in on a beautiful October day The leaves from the giant hardwood trees in the front of all the homes were falling, and the wind was blowing, and they were dancing in the streets. And Eric and I were so happy to be in our first real home together. But after Thanksgiving, every single one of our neighbors filled their landscape, their yard with lights. There were white lights, there were colored lights. The whole block, and it was a long block of small lots, was decked out like it was ready for a party. Christmas came and went, but the lights stayed. Now, I always thought you were supposed to bring your Christmas tree lights in sort of when you, your, when you took your Christmas tree down, bring your outside lights in, sort of do the 12 days of Christmas and then pack it up. But that's really not possible when you live in Chicago and by the time January arrives, those lights are frozen to your bushes. You would literally have to defrost your landscape to get those lights out of your bushes. And so the lights stayed up and it snowed and it snowed some more and we learned to shovel and to shovel some more. The winds blew, the temperature dropped, the winds blew even harder. I learned something in those Chicago winters. There is nothing more beautiful than those Christmas lights when things get really dark and cold and dreary when January and February arrives. The days are short and gray, and it seems like winter will never end. There is nothing to cheer your heart and cheer your neighborhood like those crazy Christmas lights. Some days, I think they get you through the worst of days, and they give you some hope. Some deep conviction that the trials of winter will not last forever, but that one day spring will come. Now, each of us has been through seasons of life. Maybe you're in one now where hope seems very hard to come by. Times when we feel like the winter of our despair will not end. And on this first Sunday of Advent, the scriptures you have heard are spoken to a people who are in times of uncertainty and even despair, times for them that may have seemed hopeless. I think those times had something in common with us as we witness the 24-7 cycle of news that tells us about conflict and suffering and need all the time or as we suffer alongside those we love and try to cope with the things that confuse and confound us in our world. The words of the prophet Jeremiah were spoken at a time of great struggle for God's people in Judah. Those people had been unfaithful to God in many, many ways, and Just as Jeremiah promised would happen, they were living their worst nightmare. They were living under the thumb of Babylon, the pagan state. Their leaders had been shipped off to Babylon to serve the Babylonians, and the people who remained in the land were waiting for their turn to be shipped off into exile. As Jeremiah has prophesied, the destruction of Jerusalem, the first time of Solomon's temple, was on its way. Jeremiah himself was in prison because the king of Judah did not like his uh, doomsday prophecies. Everything was in disarray. But wait, Jeremiah says to us there's more. Out of the seasons of oppression of Israel, the Lord will raise up a new king in the line of David. Jeremiah calls this king a righteous branch. This king will bring what is lacking in the lives of the people. He will bring justice and righteousness and hope. In those days, Jeremiah says, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Things are bad now. But a day is coming when a righteous king will arrive. Amid despair, there is hope. Amid darkness, there is light. No matter how bad things seem, God has not abandoned God's people. The scriptures always say, but wait, there's more. Now, almost 600 years later, when Babylon was history and the people were now living under the thumb of someone else, they were under Roman rule, the Lord sends the angel Gabriel to speak words of promise and hope to the aged Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their prayers for a child have been heard, and even though it is, they are well beyond childbearing years, the, the angel tells them that they will have a son. But wait, Gabriel says, there's more. Into your barrenness, the Lord will bring a son and the son will be the forerunner of the one who is the savior of Israel. But Gabriel didn't stop there. He goes to see Mary with the news that she too will have a son whom she will name Jesus. This Jesus will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. Jesus' kingdom, Gabriel said, will never end. Now we know who Jesus is. We know that Jesus is the righteous branch promised by the prophet Jeremiah. Jesus is the messenger of salvation and hope for all people. So in our gospel message today, we've got Jesus' last teaching before he is put on trial and then crucified, so he knows he's speaking his last words before the grave. And while his followers did not want to believe that that was true, they uh, did know quite clearly that the tide had turned against Jesus. I am certain that they were very fearful The days ahead would test their faith and challenge their hope like none other. Despite Jesus' promise of resurrection, how could they possibly understand what that would mean? And then Jesus goes all out apocalyptic on them. Now, you know that apocalypse is nothing but revelation. But in the Bible, apocalypse is a revelation is often given in this mysterious, almost scary language. But the intention of this language is not to bring us fear, but it is to remind us that there is more going on in God's world than we can see. Whatever our context, God is at work to bring about God's purposes So Jesus says that a time will come when time as we know it will end. He will come to the earth in great power and great glory. And he warns them. He encourages them to watch for the signs of his coming again. The signs are kind of uh, scary. I'd call them calamitous. Strange things will happen in the heavens. The moon and the stars in the heavens will shake. There will be signs on the earth. Nations will be in anguish, as will the creation herself. These signs will terrify people. People will faint from fear. And then... Jesus himself will come, and no one will miss him this time. This will not be little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Next time, Jesus will come in his full regalia of power and of glory power to redeem, power to judge, and power to save. Now, although this scene remains terrifying, he doesn't say these things to make us afraid. But what he says is, don't hide your head in the sand, but watch. Jesus says, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he gives them a much easier to understand parable, a parable of anticipation. He says, look at the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you know that summer is on the way. So... Likewise, when you see these things taking place, know that the kingdom of God is not far but near. He says, don't put your head in the sand. Stand up and watch. The kingdom which has already come in the first coming of Jesus will come away. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. But my words will not pass away. There's a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga, and he has written about how we Reformed and Presbyterian Christians don't tend to emphasize apocalyptic literature in the Bible as much as other strands of Christianity. But he issues a warning. He says that when we ignore the Lord's return in Scripture, it is like we are living in a house with low ceilings. We don't look up too often because we know that the ceiling is there. So we just do this. Jesus says, Cut a hole in your ceiling. Look up. Live expectantly. Don't don't try to numb your pain with self-indulgence. Don't medicate your despair with drugs and alcohol. Don't be weighed down with the worries of life, but stay alert and watch. Watch what God is doing in your world. Trust that God is at work in the midst and is working for your good, even though you are so tempted to succumb to doubt and to fear, expect God to show up. Jesus warns us against complacency because God is always on the move. Now I've noticed that when Bible people from beginning to end are at their very best when they realize their need for god and the ho- their hopelessness really without god they say some pretty amazing things they say how long o oh lord they say deliver me from my enemies rescue me help me give me hope won't you they're very honest and those are the type of very wonderful prayers that many of us are praying today and many around the world are praying as they wait for to be released from the bondage of being a refugee of some sort or some sort of disease or addiction, or maybe they're incarcerated or maybe they're going through really tough medical stuff. They say, how long, O oh Lord? And that is the cry of our hearts, how long? We cry out to God for help, for redemption, from suffering, from grief, from loneliness, from loss, from unemployment. You know the list. So are you hungry? Are you thirsty for God's hope? Are you trusting in God's faithfulness in the midst of your crisis? Or are you satisfied to live with low ceilings? When you get right down to it, Most of us are deeply longing for God to come and fix things and pronto. We want to say, come, Lord Jesus, and make it quick. (laughs) So here's the question that Advent brings for us. What does it look like to live hopefully and expectantly during this Advent season and always? Another favorite author of mine, Lewis Smead, wrote this, in this book called Standing on the Promises. Smead's right writes, Hoping for others is hard, but not the hardest. Praying for others is hard, but not the hardest. The hardest part for people who believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ is living the sort of life that makes people say, So that's how people are going to live when righteousness takes over the whole world. Wow. That puts it down for us, doesn't it? The challenge is how might we be a beacon of Advent and Christmas hope in those places where God has placed us? And I have a few ideas. First, we need to do as Jesus commands. We need to watch what's going on in our world and not just engage in conversation with our neighbors about it, but engage in prayerful conversation with God. Lift up our world's problems and our neighbor's problems to God. For those of us who know Jesus and have the good news of gospel hope, Jesus has made it our privilege and responsibility to share that hope with others, with friends and family and acquaintances. And I will tell you that Christians are not the only ones who hit the month of December with a deep sense of longing. Many people would love to be included in the real message of Christmas, but have found themselves maybe outside of the church, They haven't been practicing a faith. They may not have a church home. But what you can do for them is you can invite them to your church home. Um, There are people out there, and you know them. You may not know, the Lord may need to help you with who they are, but who would be so delighted to be invited. So may we all find winsome ways to talk about our hope this Advent season. And let's continue to be part of the great things God is doing in our world. Um, we we hear the cries of the hungry and hurting. And in this church, you have done amazing things. It, just in recent months, you have set hundreds of boxes with the gifts of God's love and gospel grace to children around the world through Operation Christmas Child. You have fed many hungry people as you packed meals for, with Rise Against Hunger. You are helping people around the world when you buy things in the serve store. You're helping people be employed and um, have a way to support their families where they would not otherwise have one. Now, firsthand, I know what you do for the Abbey. So many of you are faithfully present and faithfully providing for the needs of our outreach to Columbus State University students. You welcome them to lunch on Tuesdays and provide a space of grace for them, and then you welcome them again for a much-needed meal on Wednesday nights, You have included them in your choir, and this, too, is your ministry. You are doing so many things for them, and in this, you demonstrate the love of Christ for each of them. Last Tuesday, while I was down, Truman and I were getting ready for the Abbey lunch. Something big was happening right out on this corner. Y'all know what it is, don't you? The new topper, whatever it's called, was put on top of our steeple, and so Truman and and others were running out to see if we could catch glimpses of it as it was going on, and if you were not here, I commend to you a wonderful YouTube video that Gary must have just posted, but I saw it this morning. You can see the whole thing in time lapse. But anyway, I, as I watched this, I could not help but think with gratitude about the steadfast and the faithful witness of this church for generation after generation of people. That steeple out there is much more than a landmark in Columbus, Georgia. It stands as a witness to our faith, as a beacon of hope, to those who are much in need of hope. Now, last month in November, you all remember Hurricane Michael, don't you? It came through and wiped out parts of the panhandle of Florida and made its stormy way right up into southwestern Georgia. Many of our neighbors in Flint River Presbytery were devastated by this storm. They lost homes and livelihoods and crops, storm debris filled their roads and their yards, and of course the emergency people, the FEMA, and all the immediate relief effort people were there immediately. But the cleanup for this event will take not just months, but it will take years. Years. So many of you responded to a call from the First Presbyterian Missions Team to assist in preparing dinners for a work crew that was traveling from Virginia down to Bainbridge, Georgia. And so I had the privilege of delivering huge coolers full of meals for that work crew and the next work crew and the next work crew, honestly, um, to the people of Bainbridge. And I cannot, I'm glad to have the opportunity to share with you their joy and their relief and the love they felt with that love offering. Carl Kling is the pastor down at First Pres Bainbridge, and he shared something with me that I found just extraordinary. You know, You've probably seen pictures of it, but the, the trees just sustained huge damage. Pecan groves are no longer, um, but there are trees that survived. Some of them like this, but some trees and some bushes survived, and they are doing something that is really strange. Those trees are putting out new growth. They're putting out new leaves, and some even had flowers. Their response to trauma is not always death. Rather, they reach down inside their plant selves and bring out their reserves and put on a display of new life. Even in the midst of that storm-ravaged area, there are these strange and beautiful signs of hope. Hope. May it be so for us. Let us live as a people of a great and abiding hope, a people who have known God's faithfulness for year upon year and continue to trust, a people who live with no ceiling. We are not surprised when calamity comes, but we entrust all to God, and we act out of our own faith in God's sovereign love and mercy for us. Alleluia and amen.